Well, hello everyone and welcome back to the UK Motor Talk podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Graham. Good evening. I'm Jim. Hello. Hope you're all well. I'm Dave. How are we? And this is yet another seamless chat about what's interested us in the automotive world since we last spoke to you. At this point, just because it is slightly distracting, and I know you can't see this, so I just want to fill you in, um, but Graham has smeared Vaseline all over his camera. Um, <laughs> or something similar, perhaps from when he was doing his breaks, who knows. Um, but hopefully you'll be able to see a bit more of that shortly on YouTube at UK Motor Talk Online. So, guys, what have we seen this week? I know that, Jim, you nearly had a poo today. Uh, well, I, I very nearly had a poo, and uh, I think a lady crossing the road, actually, if, if she didn't have a poo, I'd be most surprised. I was uh, heading heading into work this morning, and uh, there's a 50 mile an hour stretch of dual carriageway I drive down every day. Uh, the lights changed to red. I was in the right hand lane overtaking a couple of cars. Notice this, uh, this car behind me wasn't slowing down altogether too much. Um, so I, uh, I sort of backed off a bit and just sort of tapped the brake, you know, three or four times just to flash the brake lights to sort of say, you know, hello, slow down. And, uh, and as that happened, the car in the left-hand lane came to a stop a bit in front of me. The, uh, the car behind me just, whether they were on the phone or drunk or uh, what the hell was going on, I'm not really sure, came tanking up behind me, uh, swerved into the left-hand lane, realised the car in front of them was completely stationary, swerved into the right-hand lane and missed a pedestrian who was crossing the road by inches. Literally, it was not not until a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds after it happened did it did it quite sink in what just happened and, and how close this lady came to death I'd, I'd blasted the horn when i saw this person undertaking and then overtaking and swerving about everywhere so whether that just got her attention enough to uh to look up and and look to the right and see this car barreling down on her at 50 plus miles an hour she took a couple of steps back and when it, when i watched the footage back later the you know those two steps saved her life and the uh the, the language that came out to me for uh, a couple of miles after was uh was quite entertaining so um yeah it was a uh, it certainly woke me up for uh, for first thing in the morning anyway and for the purposes of this podcast what was that language just because we want to give andrew something to have to bleep out this time around the language well it was actually it was quite a very it was it started off quite quiet and then got louder and louder and louder it was sort of a <laughs> when i realized what had happened <laughs> And uh, headphone users caution at this stage, and uh, yeah, it was it was just it, it was quite frightening actually, and uh, just I mean, thank God the the lady crossing the road was a paying attention and b wasn't pushing a you know a pram or something like that across the road as uh, that could have been many 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 times worse. But I've uh, I've done my due diligence and uploaded the footage to our local constabulary, so we'll see what comes of that. Obviously, I think for legal reasons, we're probably best not to put it up. Uh, as yet but we'll uh, we'll keep you updated on the case and uh, should we be allowed to post it then we'll uh, we'll pop that up on UK Motor Talk Towers and uh, you can uh, you can have a look there's some crazy people out there and that would certainly not have been a survivable accident 
Well, you're right in what you were saying about if it was a good thing it wasn't a mother pushing a, a stroller in front of her because that car was where the stroller would have been, no doubt about mm. it. That was exactly the worst exactly. bit of driving I've seen in a very long time. And not having been on the roads very much recently, that's <laughs> you know, not that difficult, but that was bloody awful. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, what, what kind of got me was you can normally spot people who are driving like a bellend from a reasonable distance away. <laughs> yeah. and, and if somebody's, you know, I, and, and to be fair, I've been in a position where I've been driving somewhere and I've had to, to get somewhere in a hurry for uh, for medical reasons and um, and I've I've pressed on accordingly but I, was I that think the time the you sat of... on that thing uh, yes yes it was yes it's out now I thought so yeah and um, yeah so I was <laughs> you know and I'm sure we've we've all done it and we've had to put our foot down and, and get somewhere quickly but I'd like to think I've always done it safely and, um, and most certainly never gone through a, a red light at that sort of speed. But I think t- prior to that, you know, the, the car hadn't been tailgating or weaving around or anything. I, I dare say it was probably just a case of not paying attention, realising that the light was red and everyone was slowing down at the last second and, and swerving round it. But watching the uh, the footage back on the computer, the you know the swerve from the right-hand lane to the left-hand lane to the right-hand lane and, and seeing the pedestrian, the ESP, the stability programmes on the, on the car, you could see it catch the car quite well mm, you could definitely. see the back end starting to go round and just just to the left uh, a few yards after the traffic lights is the exit to the supermarket and I think if, if it wasn't for the ESP A the car would have come round and probably still clipped the pedestrian and B I think ended up in somewhere in the queue of cars that were waiting to come out to the supermarket um, so another big plus for uh, for safety systems there it, it just caught the car in time and uh, the uh, the offending driver was able to carry on their merry way. The, the timing was miraculous when you think about it because the pedestrian's gone across at a red light as you'd expect. Everyone's slowing down. They've gone through, but it must have been just before people pulled out from the left-hand side because without uh, question, oh, yeah, if yeah. it had been a yeah. few seconds later, that not only would they have hit the pedestrian, we would have T-boned the side of whatever it was that was coming out as well, and it could have been really nasty. When you first showed me the footage, I genuinely thought, because you, you came in and said, have you got a minute? And just just to, show, <laughs> to show me this footage. You, you had um, that very and, worried look on your face as if I was going to say, do, do you like working here? And if you said yes, I'd be like, oh, that's, it's awkward. Yeah. <laughs> but I was expecting the car just to have completely lost it and rolled or something. And oh. you know, I almost didn't notice the pedestrian because of how how violent the swerve was. But these yeah. these lights, just, just, for the, just for the perspective, they're the kind of lights that have a, a normal height level and then they have a really high set, so you can see them when you're a mile down the road. Um, so certainly when you're sort of half a mile away, you can see the lights are red ahead of you. So yeah, how, how on earth they missed it? They must have been distracted by some other, by some other means at the time, I, I would, would say. Uh, yeah, I would mm. imagine so. By being a complete shit, basically. <laughs> Yeah, so there you go. Very, uh, so, very possibly, but it was, it's like I said, it was one of those those very surreal moments, and the the terror didn't quite hit until afterwards. But I think it was the, as I've spoken about on the podcast before, the uh, single seater thing I did at Brands Hatch, where that that car was in the spray and I was following the rain light and. The rain light disappeared, and the spray dropped. Oh, he's facing backwards. Look at that, and and you know that that was entertaining at the time, and and probably a bit of a wide-eyed moment, but. Instantly afterwards, forgot about it because you, you're on track and, and you're all pushing on, and, and that's what happens. And, and I caught up with a guy in the pits afterwards, like, who, who went off backwards? He was like, oh, that was me. And, was, and we had a good laugh and joke about it, and it was fine because it was, 
you know, is almost expected in that situation, so you don't mind. But just the the fact there was an innocent lady there just just crossing the road and very very nearly got wiped out was uh, was terrifying, to be totally honest. And it was um, a good uh, another good advertisement for a dash cam. So top motoring tip: if you haven't got a dash cam in your car, then uh, get one. They're well worth the money. And if nothing else, the footage can be amusing, uh, even if it's not being used uh, yes. in some sort of legal aspect. <laughs> I think that the, the big takeaway here, though, is that uh, we've actually managed to find a BMW driver who was driving in a particularly safe and normal manner, um, slowing I down for a set of lights and caught a hooligan that came flying up. I did have to be careful because when I was uh, uploading the footage to the uh, to the police website, they did say, you know, caution, if you are doing anything illegal in the footage you upload, we will prosecute you. And that's it. So, oh, okay, fair enough. So you've got to be got to be slightly careful. I'm sure there's probably been more than one occasion of uh, somebody uploading footage to uh, Operation Crackdown or whatever it is, thinking they're dobbing somebody in, but it's actually their own driving. So um, they drop themselves in it. I'm continually amazed by the the guys that don't assume that they'll get caught uh, when they post videos of themselves doing ridiculous uh, speeds, you know, 200 miles an hour, 180 miles an hour, whatever. Uh, and then assume that the um, the elderly Williams won't work out who the hell they are, where they are, and and nick them for it. It just <laughs> never ceases to amaze me. You know, if, you, if you're going to video yourself doing 200 miles an hour, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get a knock on the door, and it ain't going to take long. We know saying about uploading this footage to to YouTube. You know, there are many sites where you can do this. I can think of at least three that I subscribe to just to watch the sheer ineptitude of Britain's drivers. The vast majority of the people that do post this stuff are posting video of themselves driving like assholes and trying to get everyone's sympathy. And they think, well, hang on a minute, you've missed the point of this rather rather well. And they get, and they get pulled out very, very quickly. Before you start even looking at the videos, you go down and look through the comments for the time and go, so-and-so, so-and-so, why have you bothered <laughs> exactly posting this? That's exactly what I do. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. You know, um, there's a well, I won't use the actual word, but there's an award for uh, twat of the day, and um, you can fill in the other four-letter word for which is actually used, Anglo-Saxon. And um, it's always highly entertaining. <laughs> it's like, who, why, why have you done this? Are you trying to hold yourself up as some arbiter of how to drive, or are you trying to goad people <laughs> into calling you that word? Because ultimately, that's what's going to happen. It's like. There's a roundabout. I'm going to drive into it as fast as I can and slam the horn on anyone who might already be there because I want to be in the place they're already in. I, I just don't get it. I, I find it highly entertaining, but it just beggars belief that these people haven't quite worked out that the whole point is to show other people's <laughs> driving, not your own. <laughs> but you see, I think the, yeah, but people miss out the, uh, the key with roundabouts. Of course, you give way to the right and there's a critical sentence after that in the highway code, which is all those already on the roundabout. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, the ones that make me chuckle the most are the people, you know, the other person is already on the roundabout and halfway round it. And they approach the roundabout at over the posted speed limit and they're on the horn before they've even entered the roundabout. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, insane. It, it almost half makes me wish that, that we had Brad, the trusty Volvo again, um, just so you could drive oh, yes. around hunting for these people and uh, and dispense a bit of justice. <laughs> Brad, if you don't remember, was a 2.2 tonne Volvo V70 battering ram that cost me the sum total of 270 quid and coincidentally had done about 270,000 miles by the time I got rid of it. And it, it was superb because you just know you just know that you are driving a couple of hundred quid's worth of Volvo and they're driving whatever it is. And and frankly, they're not going to come off better than you are unless they're in an Arctic, are they? 
Let's face it. No, not at all. I, there was there's uh, there's one particular roundabout on the way to work where uh, people always try and cut in. You know, they go in the right hand lane to try and get in front of you, and uh, and push in. And I don't know, I, I was half tempted the day I was bringing it back to work. Just to keep driving up and down that bit of road, just just finding somebody <laughs> who was going to try and do it, because there was no way in hell I was backing out. And and to be fair, if contact had been made, I don't think I'd have bothered braking. To be fair, just just carry on and, and punt them off into the scenery, teach them a lesson. No, don't do mm. that. That's bad. No, I, I saw a wonderful demonstration of uh, a misunderstanding or a complete lack of understanding of, of aerodynamics the other day. I'm in my Volvo, fifty mile an hour limit. 50 mile an hour road, several cars in front of me, and the one immediately in front of me uh, decides to overtake the four cars in front of him, even though I could see perfectly well the oncoming traffic on a single carriageway road. And the bit that really made it touch and go was the two feet or so of stuff he had piled up on the roof rack. That's going to slow you down a little bit when you pull out to overtake. And, I mean, this was only a sort of basic Astra. Uh, and he just sort of crawled through a gap which everybody had to create for him. So it would about be a Vox nine... driver, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry about that. But uh, about nine or ten cars all on the brakes to allow one plonker to get back into a space he didn't deserve. If there's anyone that does know about aerodynamics, it's a Volvo driver. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, it's, uh, they have the aerodynamics of a brick. Yeah, but you know your limits. For, yeah, I lost the rest of the Volvo driver preachers about aerodynamics. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. From uh, top tips on dangerous driving to some safe driving or some safety car driving, shall we say. We've uh, we've got some new safety cars in the Formula 1 this year. How's that for a seamless segue in, from one to another? Well, indeed. So... Mercedes for however many years, many, many years. And now a Mercedes-powered Aston Martin, which is, I think, a lot more pretty, to be honest. So you've got a Vantage, which has been tuned up a bit, and with a light bar on the top and lots of electric buttons and things inside to make all that work. And some other quite cool gadgetry inside. So it has a, a little flag system that pops up. So you, you can monitor where they are on the course as to what, uh, what situation you're in. And a DBX, a strict four-seater DBX, so you can take the driver back in the back and you've got space for medical staff and all the rest of it. Yeah, I think I've seen the photos. I think they're both very good-looking cars. We'll see how they perform in practice and whether they can uh, actually be a little bit quicker than the, the Mercedes in lead in the, the pack when they have to. But uh, same driver as before, uh, Burnt Mylander, yes. and he's, he's basically saying, it's a brilliant car, I love it. It's better than the Mercedes, which I'm not sure that he should have been saying that, but there you go, that's what he said. Well, I think Alan van der Merve, the uh, medical car driver as well, and the uh, uh, the hero of uh, of the Bahrain Grand Prix as well, and I think whose who's following has, has grown exponentially since uh, his heroic actions after uh, Roman Grosjean's crash. Uh, I think he sure. uh, he tweeted the best reply, which was just the uh, the gif of the guy from Hangover, just uh, just raising his eyebrows with a happy smile on his face. I mean, he seems quite <laughs> excited about it as well. But no, th- those are some good-looking safety cars, without a doubt. They definitely are. It's a change, isn't it? It's, it's a big oh. change because, it's yeah. as you said, Mercedes have uh, ruled the roost for countless times. It made me think, when was the last time that it wasn't a Mercedes? And I think you probably have to go back to the sort of mid to late 90s, something like that. I certainly remember a... Um, a Ford Escort Cosworth doing the 93 British Grand Prix and thinking that's rolling quite considerably. 
uh, compared to what's what's behind it. And um, I do know as well, um, off the top of my head, that there was there was one year that they used a Fiat Tempra, and I think that was in Brazil, of all of all things. Can you imagine them? <laughs> they'd be they'd be pushing him along to try and get him out of the way. Now, wouldn't it? I've stalled again. I've stalled. Well, I think it it would be quite entertaining if we could get away with using our uh, our fist, our Fiesta ST, as a safety car. Uh, I think that would uh, that would be quite a spectacular sight. But I think they they always used to uh, when the safety car was <laughs> was introduced, they uh, they always tried to make it topical, either relating to the country or the sponsor of the race, or you know a car that had just launched or whatever. So I think you know on occasion you had a Ferrari three five five or something like that as the safety car, which was fine. But yeah, there, there certainly have been some um, slightly more pedestrian safety cars. I'm ashamed to admit that the first time I ever went out on track was in my 1.4 Fiesta, and the safety car in front of me took off and I couldn't keep up with him. Um, you know, when you go up for, for the sighting laps at the beginning, I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be awkward, isn't it? <laughs> so halfway around, I'm thinking, this is, this is hard work here, trying to keep up with this guy. Well, I think it was uh, it was like that at the the last track day, but one that we did at uh, at Brands. It had been a freezing cold evening, and it was uh, not much above freezing first thing in the morning. And and through clearways, it was like driving on ice to be found. I was sliding about all over the place, just uh, just on the sighting laps. Yeah, again, struggling to keep up, you know, with everything. I was like, oh, this this is going to get a bit hairy when um when the safety car peels in. And uh, and everyone goes for it, and the radical Julie did uh, did end up backwards in the barrier when that happened. So years ago, uh, I was at uh, Santa Pod for a drag race meeting, and and the the star uh, or one of the stars of the of the event with the the funny cars. One of the funny cars failed to start, and the guy ran just to fill up the gap. He ran his Fiat Panda four by four alongside a funny car in the other lane. It was a bit of a no contest, but it was amusing at the time. I've just looked up. Apparently, the very first ever Formula One safety car, though not necessarily officially sanctioned, was a Porsche nine one four. There you mm. go, fact fans. I think that was in, uh, Canada nineteen seventy three. I believe. Ah, there you go. You you have more information you're pro- at your probably on the same website that I'm on. Well, drive drove. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I looked it up. Just I just looked it up while I was thinking. No, no. And uh, just below that, there's a, a Lamborghini Countach in uh, 1981, 82 and 83 in Monaco. So, yes, yeah, very much in keeping with the uh, locale. Worryingly, though, something like a Countach, which we all think, yep, yeah, supercar, fast car, bedroom wall, poster, blah, blah, blah. And we, I know we've said it before, but you think these days slower than a golf. Mm. That's, that's sad, isn't it? A lot more dramatic trying to reverse the thing. A lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> When you stood out the side of the car trying to look behind you. A Balboni lean, they call that, don't they? Because he invented the sitting on the sill with the door up to see where the hell you're going whilst parking them at the factory routine. And everyone's followed it it since. Yeah, absolutely. If he's the man telling you how to do it, that's how you do it. Following on from uh, safety cars, they'll uh, they'll be leading the pack around at quite a few Grand Prix, I'm sure, this year. We've had, um, for the rest of the grid, uh, that'll be trailing around behind them, we've had, uh, well, I say we've, uh, they're not really launches that we've had so far. They've all been glitzy, slightly weird online, socially distanced. Mm. People, I think, are on different continents all at the same time affairs. Um, but we've had, uh, we've had all the livery reveals, because the cars that they've launched, bear very little resemblance to the uh, the actual cars that'll hit the track but the uh, I, th- I think we can have a, a little run through the grid and the liveries and uh, I think you you mentioned earlier David that that 
people just like a change and that's it and it's it's good to see actually there's quite a few liveries this year that have uh, that have changed in a big way yeah so i mean i think renault's possibly one of the biggest isn't it they're now alpine and uh, it looks pretty. pretty good to me of that all the does cars look good. it does it looks cohesive which is quite a miracle for formula one cars even in my limited knowledge of them these days um having something that looks simple and elegant i think alpine alpine however we pronounce it uh followed by the um the very very nice looking and i think it's probably going to be everyone's favorite the um the Aston Martin, not least because it's pretty much the same colour all the way from start to finish, which the rest of the cars seem to have real difficulty in achieving. Well, it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, you have all these, I follow a few, um, you know, livery designers or graphic designers on Twitter and they're, you know, they're always posting concept liveries for this, that and the other. And, you know, it'll be anything from what if Porsche came back in and was sponsored by so-and-so and they'll post something they've come up with. And and half the time you have to do a double take to work out whether it's a real car or not. Mm. Some really talented people out there. And then uh, and then the team with a, a budget of $150, 200000000 million a year reveals the actual livery. And it, uh, oh, is that it? Is that what, can you just give give the job of designing every livery to this guy? Because you know the, there's plenty of them. There's Sean Bull and there's Tim Holmes and uh, and and many many more. And you know they'll post his what the grid could look like. And you just say yes yes to all of them. Just just print that. That's it. Just sell your design to all of them. Uh, and that'll be a great looking grid. I think the uh, well the Alpine was. Um, uh, the, their interim livery or testing livery or never actually appeared on an actual car at, at all at any point so why bother doing it livery was uh, was dull as anything but they've uh, they've pulled it out of the back with the actual car livery and um, yeah I'm, I'm not sure on the pink on the Aston Martin I'm just not not a hundred percent sold yet so I think I think we need to see it flying around the track towards the uh, the end of this week to uh, to judge properly but no that that is a good looking car. I think they've done a better job than the Petronas car, haven't they? See, I I quite like the Mercedes. I think it's better than the Mercedes last year. I think the the livery at the, um, the the beginning of last year, I think it was a bit rushed, and it was reasonably obvious that it was a bit rushed, as as much as you can rush a black livery, just paint it black and leave everything else as it is. But it's uh, I, I, yeah, I I prefer that to last year's car. I must admit, it just seems a bit more cohesive. Yeah, it's a it's a better looking car and. I mean, all of the cars this year are essentially evolutions of last year. There were, there were not that many changes, but it, it, it was worth going through them, just, just looking for some of the detail changes. But the, the biggest change is the one that is going to be almost impossible to see because it's the shape of the floor, because a lot of the teams were getting quite a lot of downforce from cutting slots in the floor in various places, and that's, that's all been banned. Yeah, I think the uh, the area of the floor just uh, just behind the side pods in front of the rear tyres is uh, yeah much much simplified. Whether they needed to focus on that bit quite so much, I think that you know uh, the Formula One rules are, are a series of boxes that the car must fit into. So you know at this point it can't measure any wider than this or taller than this, and something that's thirty millimeters behind the reference plane of this, that, and the other can't stick out more than this. So it's it the the designs of uh, of the modern cars are, are almost dictated by the rules really but one one area they desperately need to tidy up is the is the barge board area i think that's whether somebody forgot about that bit in the rules or wrote the rules in such a way to to give them that freedom there the the amount of stuff 
going on in mm. in the barge board area i mean it, it makes it almost impossible to get into the car to be fair that they have to have step ladders or or even specially designed step ladders with a thin leg at this angle and a wonky leg at that angle that will actually fit in between all the appendages because if you if you tread on that i'd imagine that's probably north of 50 grand up the swanee if you were if you broke it that little bit of the car's just a bit too fussy on uh, on the mclaren particularly the, the amount of stuff that's in there is insane well, it's, it's almost going back to the days of the X-Wings that they used to have stuck on the side pods and the, the stuff that all got rightfully banned because, A, it was dangerous. There were things sticking out all over the place. But, B, they just look ridiculous. And next year, when they go back to this far more simplified, pared-down, more one-of-a-kind a look, I have to say I'm quite looking forward to that. And I, sp- I say that as someone who isn't a huge Formula One fan these days. The cars these days are incredibly fussy looking i mean they're, they're an improvement on how they have been but it does seem like you say they're starting to creep back in all these little appendages mm. and addenda that they're bolting on the sides and no it's the cars are not pretty formula one cars to my mind should look elegant and they look anything but at the minute and i know that's down to regulations and loophole bending and so on but you think back to i mean just I can't, 93 94 sort of era Exactly, you know, that, that classic smooth lines. That's it, it doesn't get much better than that. Or a 1990 Jordan or 91 Jordan, 1990 Ferrari. Those two cars are probably the prettiest, most beautifully resolved Formula One cars of the modern era, to my eyes. And yeah, I know I'm I would old, agree. I would agree. But they were simple, elegant, and yes, I mean, these days they wouldn't stand a hope in hell of standing near any of these cars, but they looked right and they didn't need all this crap stuck on the sides and i'm I think for even, one i'm quite looking the, forward to next year in the the last big rule change you know if you look back at um you know the the mclaren uh particularly in the i think the bmw sauber of 2007 you know that they were you know fish-like in their in their design and all the aero strafes and bits and pieces uh 2007 2008 you know the the real peak of the aero era and then we had 2009 and the the brawn you know that was just a completely bereft of sponsors it was white with a fluoro yellow stripe on it but the apart from the slightly odd proportion of the front and rear wings compared to the rest of the car you know if the rear wing was a bit wider and a bit lower that would have been pretty much perfect in my eyes because there was it was just so smooth so clean and yet all all these bits seem to have crept back in it over the uh, the last 10 or 11 years and um yeah bring back a bit of simplicity i think the more the more you constrain the rule book i think the more you're going to get these sort of fussy little add-ons because they're they're really really minor tweaks, aerodynamic tweaks, uh, which the designers are, are, are trying to find to give just a tiny tiny edge. And you know, all the time you're you're restricting with the rules, which is going to become more and more the case. Then that's what's going to happen. I quite agree. All those bits sticking out the sides look bloody awful. I'm in in some respects waiting to see them uh, next week testing in Bahrain. When they put all those temporary aero fences on top, how the hell's anybody going to get in the cockpit? <laughs> have, to, have to get craned in. How will anyone know which bit's meant to be there and which isn't? <laughs> Speaking of uh, of early nineties Williams, the uh, the Williams livery this year is a bit of a change, isn't it? I wasn't quite expecting that. To be fair, that's um, again that if I think they were heading for you know nineteen ninety three Camel sponsorship inspiration with that one, is it could maybe do with a bit more yellow on it. 
I quite like the stripes, to be honest. But they've uh, they've certainly put the effort into uh, to making it different, and it's and, and again, like you said, you just you want something a bit different, don't you? Just just shake it up a little bit. But I think the you know if if you have uh, the rules as tight as they are, like you say, it's just seeking those those marginal gains, isn't it? You know, the difference between the first and last is a couple of seconds, whereas in the late eighties, early nineties, the difference between the first and last might have been. 10, 11 or 12 seconds, you know, you could have cars, quick Formula 2 cars being quicker than the slowest Formula 1 car. Mm. So it's, um, it, it certainly keeps the field tighter, having the rules tighter, but probably at the expense of overtaking, I think, again, maybe because the cars are so close, you know, if you've only got a couple of tenths pace advantage on the car in front, it is incredibly difficult to overtake, particularly with the aerodynamics as the way they are. Looking at the cars, there's a couple of things that really strikes me. Actually, there's a few things that really strike me. First of which is because of the way they're currently set up, they all seem to be very underwheeled in terms of dimensions, which doesn't help the way they look. Makes them less That will pretty. change next year, of course. Yeah, but for the moment, they look really underwheeled. They also seem to be incredibly colour sensitive because there's so much side to them. If you look at the McLaren, for example, you've got that sort of broad stroke down the entire side of the car and it makes it look taller to my eyes, and that doesn't really work. It makes it look taller, but it also makes the back end of the car look a lot longer. Than all the others. It does. I'm not quite sure yeah. why. I think it's because the, the the orange bit, although the the blue and the um, the grey towards the end, it, it follows the curve of the the mini shark fin. But because it follows sort of the bulge of the engine cover, it just yeah, it looks it's it's, it's wrong. Yeah, it's almost like a, a shooting brake, but I'm trying to put the opposite effect on it, isn't it? It's very odd, but a nice looking car nonetheless. If you look at the Alfa Romeo, it's kind of the opposite. The way that swoops down the red, that makes the mm. car look that bit. A bit more purposeful in my mind. I appreciate the whole car is purpose, but it, it yeah. just seems a little bit shorter and it looks better. And then I think the other trick where they get it right, and you, you mentioned the Williams and sort of the shape of the Williams, and we know, as we all agree, they just look far too fussy, the cars. When the bottom of the car is, is black compared to the top part of the livery, that seems to remove some of the fussiness to my eyes to how it looks. And I, I think the Alpine livery is absolutely beautiful for that reason, because you get mm. the top part of the car, the profile, which shows the sort of curvy shape of the body, mm. and in the black you lose a lot of the fussiness, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think all the uh, all the, the barge boards certainly want to be in black, because uh, A, it makes it harder for the other teams to photograph them and uh, and copy them. Um, but yeah, so that that angle of of livery and the you know like i say how bulbous the back of the mclaren looks because of the angles of the color scheme um mm. but compare that with uh, with something like the haas and the uh, just quite quite simple swoops in the colors of the russian flags in deference to their new driver and new sponsorship it makes the back end of the car look lower and, and the top of the car look that bit more pinched i think and that that bit tighter and, and looks a bit better for it to be fair no, it's not not the russian flag not the russian flag oh no no uh, no they oh no have no that. yes yes because of course russia are banned from competing in absolutely everything but yes we do have the uh, the russian flag although it'd be just i'd like to see uh, there's a couple of people have mocked up that uh, that livery but in the colors of the german flag in deference to mick schumacher and uh, actually, I'd, the, taking us back now, we're talking about liveries to uh, to BAR in, when did they launch? 99, 2000? 98? 99. It even before then. Yeah. 97, yeah. I think, wasn't it? No, I'm 97, Villeneuve was, uh, was still at Williams. 98, oh, he was, yes. Williams, 99 BAR, yeah. And they, uh, and they had, you know, two, each car was painted in, uh, in different colour fag packets. And 
actually, it made the job of telling which driver was which very, very easy. Talking of, uh, of liveries, we've, of course, got helmet liveries as well. And, uh, and the two Alfa Tauri drivers, you know, Pierre Gasly, his helmet is, uh, is the Alfa Tauri branding in the middle. Uh, with some orange swoopy designs on the top and some orange swoopy designs on the bottom. And uh, Yuki Tsunoda's is uh, orange swoopy designs on the bottom and orange swoopy designs on the top with the Alpha Tauri logo in the middle. So that there's absolutely no chance of being able to tell Gasly and Tsunoda apart this year. So why not just paint the cars different colours? Why not? It's a good-looking car, the Alpha Tauri. It's, uh, it's got hints. Mm. I don't know if it's just me. It's got hints of uh, Brabham's of the 80s to my eye. It's I think you're going to be right there. Definitely. Now you're talking yeah. real cars. Mm. <laughs> yes, it's it's a good look. Again, it's because it's fairly simple. It's just blue and white, and that's it. You know, divided down the middle, almost sort of split from from front to back. It's um it's a very good looking car, especially with the white wheels as well. This is terrible, mm. isn't it? Discussing colours rather than <laughs> what the cars will do and how fast they'll go. Well, they'll all go pretty much as fast as each other with with the Mercedes slightly in front of all the others. I would suggest, but... <laughs> well, true. I mean, of course, that's a change this year, isn't it? McLaren have um, gone back to uh, their home turf and have fitted a Mercedes power plant, and they've had to redesign their car a little bit in order to accommodate that, and I believe they've had to use up some of their uh, their allotted tokens in order to achieve this. Am I right? Yeah, I, st- I still don't... I, I have a hard time getting my head around this this token system. It's almost like yeah. there's, a, there's a Formula One development machine and, and you get, you know, it's like going to the uh, the Lido when you were a kid and you get a couple of um, coins to chuck in the slots of a couple of games and you had to choose what you wanted very, very carefully. And then as soon as you'd spent all your coins, you instantly regretted that you didn't spend them on something else. So I think that, that'll probably be the case with a, uh, a few teams this year. But um, yeah, I think most of it was shoehorning the uh the mercedes engine in but you know the last time uh, an entrant had to shoehorn the mercedes engine into the back of the car at last minute they uh, they did quite well so fingers crossed it's the same for mclaren yes i'll, I'll be keeping an eye on that one because we we do have history mclaren and i so yes fingers crossed it it turns out well they were they were getting the right way last year so hopefully this will um help to solidify their progress and it would be great to see ricardo do well and, uh, and get on the podium on a regular basis, and uh, and who knows, maybe even a couple of wins. Well, one win would be bring nice. back the smile to his face. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Somebody smiling in Formula One. There's a thing. Mm. And we've got. Uh, well, I think in in the meantime, coming up in uh, oh, I think it's around about ten days. We've got uh, the latest season of Drive to Survive, and that looks at, that looks quite intense entertaining and i think to, to be honest even if you're not a formula one fan that's that's well worth a watch just for the the human side and the sporting side and you know you don't need to like cars or racing to enjoy drive to survive it's a bit like rush really you know i took the missus to the cinema to see rush and uh, she was like, oh, it's just going to be a car film it's going to be right and she came out and she agreed it was one of the best films she'd she'd ever seen she thought it was absolutely fantastic and uh, yeah i can't wait for uh, for drive to survive Following on from the uh, from the liveries, uh, of course, you need some uh, some squidgy nuts to go behind the wheel, and uh, dropping into the cars. Well, we've got we've got a couple of rookies joining this year, haven't we? There's, there's some Spanish guy for for, for, for Nadinho. What's his name? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Alonso. Oh, so well, just looking about, he's got quite a bit of pedigree, actually. To be fair, so um, yeah, despite only doing a uh, a young driver test at the end of last year, he's uh, he's already managed to win the championship twice, which is uh, which is quite good going. So, if he's if he's managed to win the championship twice without turning up and, uh, and being a rookie this year, he's uh, he's in in for a good year, I would suggest. Yeah, I have to say, I'm a, a big Fernando fan, having seen some of the things that he pulled in the early days of his career. Uh, to see him up against Lewis and uh, one or two of the other guys, uh, it's really good, I think, to, to see him back. It's quite odd when you look at the uh, the length of Alonso's career. And there's been loads of pictures of Alonso and Raikkonen floating around when they both started back in uh, in 2000, 2001, and how young they looked. Mm. Uh, but of course, at that time, there was uh, they were racing against. Uh, the great Michael Schumacher, and now we have uh, another Mr. M. Schumacher in uh, in this year. So to see Alonso, Raikkonen, Schumacher all back on the grid will be uh, will be slightly peculiar. But looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how Mick gets on. I'm uh, I'm excited to see his pace. Yeah, he's very successful in uh, the lower formula. He's climbed up through them very fast, and yeah, you know, some might say that uh, that's entirely due to his father's reputation and his connections. But that you know, I don't think that is the case. He he's shown his capabilities on the way up, and he should do very well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the Schumacher name certainly opens doors, but what it doesn't do is uh, is give you any hiding room, does it? If uh, if you don't measure up and you're not as quick, or or the pace isn't there, you'll um you'll you'll certainly find out. You know, Bruno Senna found it incredibly tough in Formula One. The uh, although his surname opened up plenty of doors the the pressure on him to perform must have been absolutely immense but i think the it's it's almost um it's it's the worst of all worlds isn't it really you've got somebody like uh, Lance Stroll who's got his father's billions in the bank to go and play around with and and buy him a formula 1 team you've got um that russian driver who's definitely not russian or competing under the russian flag as a as a mixed teammate this year and and his dad basically owns half of russia and uh you know his billions in the bank has certainly opened a door for him but they don't have the pressure on them in in terms of the surname bringing any weight so Somebody like Mick Schumacher, who's uh, whose dad certainly got a few quid in the bank. Yes, it it helps him get in, but mm. if uh, if your name's Schumacher and you're not top of the timesheets, then uh, you're in trouble, I think, aren't you? You certainly got to prove your point. The guy that uh, a lot of the F1 pundits are raving about is this uh, Japanese guy Tsunoda, and uh, a lot of people are sort of saying he's going to be uh, very impressive and embarrassing of a lot of more established drivers. Interesting to see. In in terms of just. Thinking in terms of names as well, about Carlos Sainz. Uh, yeah, I'd be, be keen to see how uh, how him and Leclerc get on. I think it probably depends on the pace of the car, doesn't it? I think the reason Sainz and uh, Lando got on so well was uh, was either of a, a similar age and uh, differing senses of humour. Um, it was almost like a, an older and younger brother type relationship that they had but ultimately that you know they were scrapping around for for points maybe the odd podium and and they had a nice share of them each and very rarely were they on the same bit of racetrack at the same time you know different strategies different qualifying results etc so they they could help each other and work well together that'll happen again and again and you know if if the ferrari are the fourth or fifth quickest team this year as they have been over the last year, then um, I think Leclerc and Sainz will get on fine. The issue will be if uh, if they're racing at the front. You know, Lewis and uh, and Rosberg got on fantastically well and were best mates for years and years and years. 
until they found themselves both scrapping for a championship, and then uh, and then the mood changed. So, I think I. I can't see Ferrari taking a, a huge step closer to the front this year. I don't think Ferrari will be the second quickest team this year. So they'll uh, they'll probably get on okay. But I I don't think uh, anyone who's expecting Carlos Sainz to go to Ferrari and be a dutiful number two to Leclerc, although Leclerc is clearly the the number one in the future, etc. There's there's not a huge difference in age, and if Sainz proves himself to be quicker, then the team will soon fall in love with him. And I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't write off Carlos against Leclerc at all at all. No, Sainz is another one with a name that he's got to honour, hasn't he? This hmm. is the point, isn't it? Sainz is obviously a name that uh, has been known to motorsport fans of a different discipline for many years, and I, I think hmm. his his son will still feel he has something to prove, and and rightly so. And he's obviously shown he knows what he's doing. They don't let anybody into for. Ferrari, no matter what some of their more dubious historical signings may tell you. And I think he deserves to do well. He's he's got the perfect platform from which to launch an attack on the Formula One championship. And I'm I'm sure I wish him well. I mean, Ferrari's never been my favourite team, but it's always been one that you sort of want to be there or thereabouts because they're quite often the barometer by which you measure all the others. Mm. Certainly, I don't want to see them do as badly as they did last season and the season before, which is just no embarrassing for uh, a team that has been there as long as anybody else in fact longer than virtually everybody else speaking of barometer bottas russell what do we think bottas are on a one-year contract yeah mm. but bottas will come out pr- probably win a couple of races early doors and we'll have bottas 3.1 now running windows millennium edition or, or whatever else and um I, 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 I'd, I'd love him to prove me wrong so i think he's uh he's a lovely lovely bloke and he's uh he's he's certainly got flashes of pace and on on qualifying i don't think you'll get many people who could run lewis as close as bottas could mm. and and on occasion just on on pure pace beating lewis on a, on a saturday afternoon there's Quite not so. many people Quite in the so. world that can do that and the the number of times bottas has pulled it out and lewis has had no answer for it is phenomenal it's it's that sustained effort over a season which which seems to be lacking whether it's a you know he gets slightly lost on setup or a couple of bad races and and his head drops and and a couple of tents disappear out of his lap time but I think you know Rosberg summed it up quite well he he just said that the amount of his life that it took to dedicate to the sport to beat Lewis for that one year and and as soon as he'd done it he realized he was spent and he he couldn't do that again I think you know he was sleeping in a separate bedroom to his wife and not seeing the kids and and just throwing himself into it to beat Lewis whereas Lewis seems to have an uncanny knack of flying halfway around the world at every opportunity and partying and doing pretty much whatever he wants to yet still rocking up at a weekend and performing at his best it's um it's only a rare talent to be able to do that but i hope bottas can string it together um over the course of the year and uh, and give him a run for his money because he's he's certainly got the ability it's just that consistency i think what of a certain mr vettel are we going to see a lot more of him this year exiting ferrari joining aston martin as obvious number one four-time world champion he's got a lot to prove that he can do it all over again well i fully approve of his uh, of his new haircut but he seems a uh, he seems a lot happier i think already just from the the snippets that we've seen he almost seems yeah you know just free of the shackles of it and it's uh, i think there's a lot to be said for uh, for driver freedom and, and drivers feeling happy you know lewis when um 
when he left McLaren and went to Mercedes, was allowed all that freedom, and, and he's absolutely flourished under that. McLaren under uh, Zach Brown and, and Andrea Seidel and others, they, although they're, they're still a very, very, very serious, very committed operation, they do seem to be open to, to having a bit more fun these days. And Red Bull, you know, a, a team that that pride in themselves on, uh, on having a party atmosphere in the paddock and, and the freedoms that they allowed Adrian Newey when he joined the team. I think there's a lot to be said for, for keeping people happy, and Vettel seems happy at the moment. And a happy Vettel is normally quite quick, so uh, he, he certainly hasn't forgotten how to drive, he hasn't forgotten how to win races and, and dominate and lead from the front. So if the car's anything up to his style, then, um, yeah, there's no reason why not. Now, you certainly get the impression his mental state is much more positive than it has been for quite a long time. It's it's been it's been horrible really to see the damage that Ferrari have effectively done to him. And and the fact that uh, he knew best part of the season in advance that his services are no longer required. That's a real snub. Yeah, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? You know, if you can you imagine being at work and then, you know, being called in on uh, on a Monday morning in early February and saying, right, your your services are no longer required, so your last day will be 31st of December this year, and you've got to spend the entire rest of the year, to, you know, showing up and going through the motions. It's uh, it's very odd, isn't it? Doesn't motivate you, does it? No, definitely not. Definitely. Although he is notice pay, it'd be quite nice. So there's, there's probably a few million reasons why he uh, he could turn up and be happy, but I think he's uh, he's probably got enough in the bank that that probably didn't motivate him. Yeah, there comes a point where money is, is not the only driving force, and, and certainly if you get uh, Lewis's reputed uh, £40 million a year, others are on major, major sums. They're just eye-watering sums. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's then finding stuff in your head and stuff in your body that makes you want to win because the money isn't everything by that point. Yes, I'm, I'm not quite at the stage where uh, I've got enough money that money isn't everything. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll let you know if I ever get there. But um, it's, uh, it's an odd one, though, because I, I don't think Lewis's contract negotiations were the uh, the easiest or the smoothest. No, he was quite grumpy about it, apparently. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, again, I can think of 40 million reasons to cheer up, but there we go. And, um, you know, he's... he's party company with uh, a member of his close entourage recently and he and Brundle said when he interviewed him the other day he just seemed quite quite grumpy and and quite upset really so I, I think if anything this this is probably Bottas's best chance might be his last chance as you say it's a one-year deal but if Bottas can come out of the blocks motivated ruthless refreshed and and as quick as we all know that he can be actually he he has got a real chance here and if if he can get enough momentum early in the season as Nico did he you know started off well and and just kept it going and when Lewis had a good run of form Nico didn't let his head drop he stuck with it he carried on and and very quickly the tables turned back again and you never know so will it be Bottas and Russell in in the Mercedes in 2022 not quite sure Russell would certainly be a lot cheaper than Lewis certainly the other front runner we haven't mentioned of course is Max who stays at Red Bull and you know Max is Never shied away from trying his very best with whatever the the Red Bull offered him. Uh, certainly, he's going to be a threat next year because the new car looks potentially as good, if not better, than last year's. 
He's got to be there in the mix. Yeah, I think so. And it was, it was certainly, although I, I think there were some odd things going on with the Merck power unit in the last race of last year, and they, they had to turn it down a little bit. But the, the Red Bull certainly had the pace over the Merck that weekend. So if, if they can carry it, I know that's a bit of a, a Red Bull traditional trait over the last few years is to um to start slightly not where they should be and, and catch up very well as the as the year goes on but never quite enough to uh, to get there and be in the running in the last race but um no if um if Checo can run Max that little bit closer that little bit harder I, I don't think Max has got that much more pace in him to extract I don't think it'd be a case of um you know having a stronger teammate brings him along as as we've seen in the past you know you get some drivers that that aren't being pushed by their teammate you know Alonso with Renault teammates in the past springs to mind they drive around at nine tenths of their ability and that's that's three tenths quicker than their teammates so that'll do uh I, I don't think Max understands that appreciate that cares about that he just gets in the car and drives as fast as he humanly can every single lap mm. looking forward to seeing Checo on the podium a few more times and maybe even a couple of race wins because I think if uh, if he'd have gone with just one race win that that wouldn't have been quite enough for a man of his talent no it certainly deserves more and I, I I think it'll be it's a very interesting pairing I think they'll push each other very hard Max for me slightly has the edge but uh, I think we haven't seen the best of Checo yet this is the best opportunity he's had it's Chico time. Do you think he says that every time he tries to make an overtaking move in his what, head? It's Chico time. Do you think? Do you think he accidentally presses the radio button on the pit wall? They're going, oh, Chico, give it a rest. It was funny the first time. You're using up valuable airtime. I like hearing uh, more radios. Although there's, uh, you do hear a lot more moaning and my tires have gone off and my tires won't last anymore and uh, and whatever else. The uh, some of the comedy gold that comes out of the uh, the drivers when they're racing, you know, Carlos signs and he'd overtaken somebody. He's like, did you see that? Did I did I send it or did I didn't I did not send it? Did I send it? The guy was like, I don't know, but that was a great overtaking move. So I get one of the catch the next one, and off you go. And, uh, you know, certain of Ricardo's um, radio messages as well. You know, so, oh, you have a you have a five second penalty for track limits or whatever it was, and it was like, yep, it's my bad. I'll drive faster. And just hearing that determination, and uh, and then you know other nuggets like uh, I think there's a, his engineer said to him, oh, so and so is uh, four seconds in front of you, and his uh, his tyres are going off, so we will be vulnerable at the end. And Ricardo just replied with, I like him vulnerable. And that's it. I mean, t- take it out of context, and it sounds really, really creepy. But he, um, yeah, just good entertainment. So, should we should we round up with some uh, some predictions then? So, rather than trying to do a um, top ten or who's going to win or whatever, because that's maybe fairly obvious. Let's let's have uh, an oddball left field prediction from uh, from everyone. So, just just something totally at random that you think might happen would probably give you about 200 to 1 odds if you were to put it on at the bookies and we'll uh, we'll have a round up at the end of the year and see how we get on. I'm going to vote with an animal running across the track again because why not? Which animal which race? Cuz you can't no gra- <laughs> you can't go groundhogs at Canada, can you? Because that's just too obvious. Oh, that was going to be mine. Uh, <laughs> I'd like I'd like to let's let's think a goose. Why not have a goose run across the track at some point? An angry goose. An angry goose. Okay, so the, there'll be a bird, a, a flying-related interruption to a session at some point. Then yes, yes, yep. good. Let's go with that. Okay, David. Um, I'm going to be an optimist here and go with the driver. I, I reckon Daniel Ricciardo. The last race, it's going to be down to the wire, but he may just pip whoever it is from Mercedes who's leading up to that point. Might just snatch it away by one point in an underdog David and Goliath style customer beating the 
the factory team style win. I think that would be such a lovely thing to happen. It's never going to happen in a million years, and I'll take my 200 to 1 for that. Thank you very much. It's worth sticking a fiver on. Just for a race win. So, not the championship. Ricardo's going to no, win. No, no, I'm going to go. Let's let's just go the whole hog, sod it. We'll go for the whole championship. He's going <laughs> to, he'll nick it. He'll nick it by a point on the last race. Ricardo's going to win the championship. By, by one point. Well, you will get good odds on that, to be fair. Exactly. Mm, maybe £2.50. <laughs> exactly. Oh, we'll go either way. We don't want to go completely <laughs> yeah. mental. But... No, I, uh, no, joking apart, I think I. I would like to see, I mean, I've, again, I've got a history with McLaren and I would like to see them do well. They've got a lot going for them. The form has been improving steadily over the last few years. And as you said earlier on, Jim, that was as much as anything, probably down to the new the new name on the boardroom door. But it does seem to be paying dividends. They now seem to have found a bit of a rhythm. The car is basically the one that they know albeit with a few modifications to shoehorn in this new power plant but it's a power plant that is proven to win for people so i'd say the maybe the stars are if they're not fully aligned they're they're not far off so i would say daniel ricardo to if not win wait i think that's probably pushing it i would say to do very well this year fair enough well uh, we'll go with that although it's uh, it's just flashed up on the screen is that right six thousand six hundred to one for Ricardo to win the championship, that's that's got to be worth. Would you excuse me a minute? I just need that's, to type in yeah, williamhill.com. I, I, I just need to uh, exit out and go to my uh, sports. Other gambling app. sites are available. And uh, <laughs> blimey, that's uh, that's not that's that's worth a couple of quid. That might yeah, if I put enough on that, I could buy that house in uh, in Surrey that I found this week. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? The mm. one that, didn't ha- that had an inadequate garage. Uh, yes, yeah, it wouldn't need a barn extension for the uh, for the garage, but the nine bedrooms, the swimming pool, the. Uh, Cinema room, snooker room, panic room, wine cellar made up for the rest of it, I think. So uh, As that, was, neighbors. Uh, that was very good. <laughs> so, uh, Graham, what, uh, what are you going for? Well, I'm going for a sort of spread bet because we've got 23 races more than ever. Uh, my money's going to go on Alonso being on the podium at least five times. Ooh, bold. Interesting. That's very bold. I think he's going to upset some people. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Well, uh, all uh, all luck to the rookie in uh, in this year. I'm uh, I'm going to go mega bold. I'm going to go for George Russell to win a race. I would support that. I'd have some money on that as well. I think it's. Uh, I I have got some money on that. And uh, no, I think that's. Uh, it, it might take a few shenanigans or or something going on. But uh, hey, at, at the beginning of last year, to put George in contention for a race win everybody would have uh, would have laughed at you and look how he ended the season so uh, yeah let's uh, let's go for uh, for more shenanigans and, uh, and George Russell to win a race there we are he's got he's I think he's got potential to be one of these future biopic movies you know I think he you can see can't you there's going to be the early years then the the sim racing years then the the chance then of course his his big break where we uh, we had a good old chat with him at goodwood and uh, gave him a few career pointers and he just he, he hadn't looked back since really has he he's uh, he's done well he's done, done well it. yeah i did tell him so i did say so good So things we should also probably mention then, European Car of the Year is the Yaris, but not the exciting one, uh, which is the UK Car of the Year because we're no longer part of the EU. It means that we can have our own car that we're particularly proud of and excited by, thankfully, because it's not the cooking spec Yaris, which is OK, I think. But the UK Car of the Year, the media darling, is the GR Yaris, which I can kind of understand because it is a bit more exciting than a lot of the other stuff that's coming out at the moment. We've got electric stuff and everything else, but... 
homologation special, even if it's not going to be used for what it was originally intended to be used for, is just a bit more interesting in what otherwise is a pretty bleak time, I think. Well, I'm, I'm slightly confused by um, the, uh, the colour of the year uh, awards every year, because this is the colour of the year 2021, isn't it? Yes. And we, yes. We, we haven't finished 2021. No, so I never got this what the colour of the year is. What if, what if you came out with an amazing car that does a million miles an hour, a million miles to the gallon, can carry 11 million people, but it looks like a Ferrari 458? That's coming out in December, and that's not going to win car of the year. How I, do, I don't understand. I'm as confused by the fact that there are now multiple cars of the year. There used to be the world car of the year, and everybody subscribed to that, and now there's a world car of the year, a European car of the year, a North American car of the year, and they're all different. You know, and there's there's a there's a hell of a good basket of cars there to choose from, and each one seems to choose a different car. And as uh, I read earlier, today's women's car of the year appears to be a Land Rover Defender. But the, there's a there's a car somewhere in the uh, in the top seven list of of car of the year featuring seven different cars, uh, and I've I've never heard of this before. I don't whether I'm just out of touch or this has suddenly just appeared. Uh, a Cupra. Fermenter? Fermentor? Fermentor. Yes, it's a Fermentor. crossover-y Seat, isn't it? Well, actually, it's not a Seat because Cooper is a completely different brand. It's nothing like Seat at all. Um, but it is it just it? a Seat Cupra Fermentor. I think it's quite good looking, actually, for an SUV kind of thing. And if that's if that's what you're into, mm. then... I'm just, I think... I'm just, yeah, I've just looked it up, actually. And it's, I, I like the bronzy accents on it and the bronze wheels on it. That's a, a nice touch. But it, for, for, Fermentor, that, that sounds like the the evil baddie that the Highlander has to battle to claim the ultimate prize or something, doesn't it? Some of these cars, I think, may be more of a worthy winner. And the Fiat 500, which, to be honest, the traditional 500, I don't think, by traditional, I mean the new traditional 500, as opposed to the electric one, the 500E, just to confuse matters, I didn't think was particularly good to drive, unless you had an R-Bath version, which was relatively good to drive. I thought they were all just a bit lacklustre and a bit disappointing. And maybe that's because I've been used to driving a Mini, which is retro and, I think, quite good to drive. But the 500e, the new 500, I think is a really good-looking car. And I thought the old 500 was a good-looking car as well. I can understand why it sold in big numbers, or at least big numbers for a Fiat, perhaps. <laughs> I think the interior is nice. I think the exterior, the detailing is, is just a really pretty-looking car. Well, sp- speaking of pretty, I've just uh, I've just looked up uh, Cap Formentor in Mallorca, and, uh, and there's a lighthouse on uh, on the tip of it. And just uh, if if you're on the Google, look this up, because I want to live in that lighthouse. Because look at the road that you get to drive up on the way to your <laughs> house. That looks it's spaghetti, isn't it? That plus, if uh, if yes. you got it wrong, either at that hairpin or at that hairpin, there's a very big chance you'd end up in the sea. But apart from that, it looks fantastic. It's it's like having your driver's uh, a section of the Stelvio Pass or something. Oh, that looks wonderful. I've always thought my my dream house. I'd have to have two entrances. Have a house close-ish to a road on one side, so you could drive in. You could walk from your house to the road if you needed. But then have another entrance to it, which has a mile-long drive to the next road. And then maybe have some... And I've thought about this a lot, as you can probably tell from what I'm about to say, but you know when you press the crossing lights and it says wait, and you have and you wait for the green man and then you can go? I would have that. We'd have a button at either end, you press it and it says wait, just to make sure the road's clear. 
and then you, you could just absolutely have it. Make sure nobody's coming the other way. Yes, make sure nothing's coming the other way. Yeah, as long as some moron in a, in a Ford Focus hasn't decided <laughs> yes. just to completely go colourblind and ignore every single colour known to man that's red. That's it, out of nowhere. Focus! Um, <laughs> flying in from the side. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. But I, I love the idea that you could maybe have this massively long drive and that road to the lighthouse, which is basically a piece of spaghetti draped along the, the, the side of of a big piece of rock there. It would be perfect, wouldn't it? You, you, mm. have a, you'd want a long, straight section, which is relatively quick, and some tight turns. But it'd be, yeah, it'd be, I think it'd be great to have your own little course. Some of it in a tunnel as well, so that you could uh, yes. just drive up and down, blatting the accelerator in your long-since-banned petrol engine so you could enjoy it reverberating off the rock walls as you played with it to your heart's content we're, we're definitely going to need to start a patreon if uh, if that's what we're aiming for so if you'd like to support my mile long drive make sure you subscribe to us on whatever medium you possibly can One good thing I have to say, since we last met, the world is starting to open up a bit again now, isn't it? Jim and I have been looking at track days, which is which is good news, and we think that that potentially could count as a, a sporting event, so potentially we'll be open a bit sooner. And I've booked a car show for this year, Mini Cooper Day at uh, Bewley, which is on the 13th of June, presumably unless the country is shut down again. So I've actually got something to look forward to. Indeed, and I think uh, I've heard Geneva is uh, supposedly back on the calendar for next year i think the manufacturer is going to turn up this time who knows you get some, some beautifully <laughs> expensive relatively niche vehicles you get you get some beautifully expensive beverages there as well to be fair and some beautifully expensive mcdonald's as well how much was that can of coke five, five pounds. pounds five pounds and it For... wasn't even a proper size can of coke it was 250 mil and it was five pounds five pounds there you go top tip if you're going to geneva motor show pack some coke with you uh, the fizzy brown kind. <laughs> no, no, don't, yes. no, don't do that. Let's qualify that statement. <laughs> yes. There was a time, of course, when the manufacturers would almost pay you to be there. They would bribe you with food and goodies and so on. I, th- I think one of the the highlights was uh, John Christophe Novelli doing um, truffle scrambled eggs for everybody's breakfast. Ooh. Hundreds and hundreds of people. How the uh, how the old school motoring journalists yeah. lived. You just lurched from one meal and one drinking session to another. That was the wonder of Earl's Court. Some might say you haven't stopped, Graham. <laughs> Quite possibly. Not for want of trying. <laughs> we all know that uh, a £5 can of Coke wouldn't be enough to, to satisfy Graham, who decides he needs to visit his own personal lubrication station and get himself <laughs> uh, well and truly tops up with Red X. <laughs> all that remains to me then is to mention our socials. We are pretty much at UK Motor Talk wherever you want to find us. You can email us podcast at ukmotortalk.co.uk and of course you can write to us if you felt so compelled but we're not going to tell you the address again because we always tell it to you anyway so for me mike good night it's been lovely chatting to you from me jim it's a goodbye drive safely and uh, remember to look both ways before you cross the road in case there are errant people not paying attention be safe out there from graham well good night and uh, thank you for joining us let's hope you do so yet again and uh, other brands of red wine are available and from me, Dave, I will say good night, mind how you go, and if you happen to be driving a Ford Focus somewhere in the southeast of England, keep an eye over your shoulder because the boys in blue are coming knocking on your door. <laughs> UK Motor Talk, a first take media production. Good night, gentlemen.
I am going to go and have a drink.